Well, welcome to the podcast. This is Keenan Hart with Integrated Telehealth Solutions on the It's Telehealth podcast with my business partner and longtime friend, Andre Simmons. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Today, um, we're going to be covering a lot of topics, specifically the inception of ITS, Integrated Telehealth Solutions. And you know, the origin of our company is a unique one, specifically because of the personal experience that really incepted the company. Before we get into that, though, I want to uh, introduce Andre once again. Andre, you want to introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, I'm Andre Simmons, and I, it seems that I've been around um, ITS since the beginning, um, just kind of on the peripheral, kind of looking in, uh, making little trips to Vegas, seeing what you guys had going on, and I was always you know, interested for sure. Um, in the last year, I've kind of taken on more of a role, so I envision it being a fun ride for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Well, another thing to mention is Andre is also in my family as well. <laughs> so we are blood, which is important to recognize for sure. So, you know, the origin of our company specifically started because of a personal experience that we went through with our grandma. Right. So Andre being a little older than I am was able to spend a little bit more time with Nadine, our grandmother, um, and be able to, you know, spend some more intimate time with her, grew up around the house. Um, do you want to explain a little bit, you know, your relationship with grandma, everybody sure. else? Sure. So your grandmother, which would be my aunt, is, is um, yep. she, was re- she was very important. She was the oldest of that generation of our family. Um, so she was very important to the family. Um, just in terms of I would I would go over there and just get little gems of wisdom from her. <laughs> and um, Also, a few laughs, by the way. And, uh, you know, so when... It, it came time where she, you know, where she started getting a little older and a little sick, and um, we were dealing with that um, that issue. It was tough because at, at the time I was living in Texas, as you guys were in Michigan, so um, yeah, that that made it a little difficult. Um, it was tough being out of state and not having. And here's the key: is at the time I didn't have the means to to travel back and forth and and, and do those kind of things. I mean, because those are, you know, for most people. Um, in most situations, those are those are like uh, extraneous expenses, and at that time, it was that for me, you know. And I think I think we'll speak to that later how that's important. Absolutely. I mean, so same situation like Andre mentioned, right? My family lived in Detroit, moved away from the hometown or the home state of Washington State in 1997, um, and then unfortunately, as we mentioned, you know, Grandma started to get a little sick, and unfortunately, was admitted into hospice. And there was a time where, unfortunately, a lot of the family couldn't be there. And my dad, being her son, right, um, got the phone call. Grandma's going to be going into hospice, unfortunately. So what does he do? The emotionally charged situation that hospice really is caused him to drop everything and fly as soon as possible to Washington State, land in Seattle, be at grandma's side, do all the coordination and efforts of hospice. So making sure that all the DME companies and all of the service providers are around, making sure everything's in line for, you know, just medical bills and everything like that. But the rest of our family, unfortunately, wasn't able to be there, right? And so my dad's there for two weeks, spends time with grandma by her side, gets everything settled in, gets the routine down. Unfortunately, life takes hold. And that phone call is, you know, it's going to be the end of, you know, the end is coming, unfortunately, and you need to come and get all of her things in order. And so what does he do again? Drops the drops everything that he's doing, 
buys that incredibly expensive next day flight out of Detroit to Seattle, lands and is with grandma as you know she's going through her final days and hours. And now the one thing that really stuck out to my family, and I'm sure you know also had a huge impact on you, Andre, was the fact that we really couldn't be there. And so the emotional tug of not being able to be there for your loved one, but more so importantly, you know, not knowing what's going on, but also being relegated to phone calls in those last moments is very difficult. And so, you know, trying to convey all of the love, all of the passion and all of the gratitude that you have for someone who literally, as Andre said, had your back your entire life is a tough experience. You know, do you want to share a little bit about you, what you remember about that time, Andre? Yeah. So again, like I said, I was in San Antonio, Texas at the time. And, um, you know, it was, just, it was just me and my son. I was, you know, working a job there that I couldn't afford to take off time from. And um, uh, so it, it was a time where it was, it was very difficult to handle emotionally because, again, you have this you have this void um, when loved ones are get to that stage. And, and, and you have to keep in mind that this is the first of my of my close family that had gone through this stage of life. Um, and so that made it even more difficult because I didn't know how to handle it, you know, personally in, in terms of like, how do you handle that between stage of like, they're, they're here, they're lively and now they're, they're in hospice and it's, it's, the end is near. And, um, it's a very diff- difficult thing to handle, um, emotionally for sure. Um, Absolutely. yeah, so it was, it was, it was tough because, it, you know, all, all you have is third, you have third party phone calls from other family members who are in town. Um, and that doesn't give you a um, clear description of what the situation is. Absolutely. And let's remember, like this is 2008. And so the world that we live in today in 2021 is full of FaceTime and full of Zoom calls and full of the ability to connect instantaneously with the people you love and have those eyes on them and share smiles and share memories, which is so important. But back in the day, you know, those third party phone calls were not very satisfying, especially when you've had a past with someone who you love so much. And by the way, and so, the, the third party is not very, very uh, forthcoming because they, they, too, are going through an emotional um process themselves so it's, it's it's very difficult for them to translate what's happening and, and you know especially if you if you want to know and maybe in, in more clinical terms what's going on with your family member that's absolutely right I mean and the thing about you know the clinical aspect of things is Daryl my dad and our CEO is not a clinician by trade right so he's like the family members of everyone else who is thrust into that emotional situation of now being coordinator, head nurse, care deliverer, and family, I don't know, like liaison, if you will, to talk about everything that's going on. So those times are incredibly challenging. And so, you know, as grandma finally came to her final days and passed away, we all had to go through that emotional experience of what it was like to now not have her in our lives. And of course, tough for all of us, but incredibly tough for my dad and tough for all of his brothers and sisters, but also tough for people like Andre, you know, who spent so much of her life with her. Um, You know, so that experience in itself really left a mark on my family because we recognized the pain that really, and the void that you felt in not being able to be there. And so fast forward to 2014, or just coming out of the summer of 2013, 
Now I am working at this point in time in Las Vegas as I'm just finishing up school. I'm working for a company that did um, office furniture installs. So we're talking cubicles, desks, everything that is inside of an office when you walk inside. And I spent the entire summer on the back of a truck in the hot summer heat, moving huge pallets and everything out of this warehouse and driving around the city of Las Vegas, installing furniture. And one day at the end of the summer, after my job kind of had come to a wrap, I look around and I'm thinking about all these other guys who work there and they make comments like next summer, it's going to be way better. So like, don't worry, you'll get paid more. Your $11 an hour you're making right now might not seem like a lot, but next year you're going to make 14 and it's going to be great. And so I look around at myself and ask myself, can you do this anymore? And at this point in time, my dad had just come out or had just entered into a pseudo retirement because of his history that he had in Detroit, um, building a company called Commodity Sourcing Group, where they actually um, did every hospital from the basement up, right? And he actually worked with two large hospital systems there. So Henry Ford and some other large systems there. So you're talking about the cream of the crop when you're talking about different hospitals. So his background in healthcare was pretty extensive. He was able to learn the ins and outs of the organization, as well as some of the pain points that, you know, some of those hospital systems faced, you know, environmental services, delivery of materials, kits, packs and trays, all that kind of stuff. And I came home one day and Daryl being more of a serial entrepreneur with a little bit of downtime, he was my sounding board to ask, what should I do next? And would you be interested in trying to start a company with me? And so, you know, me and dad sitting across the table from each other have some of these deep conversations about, well, if you want to do something, what do you want to do? And we start figuring that out. And just simultaneously at this time, you know, telehealth is just becoming a word that people are starting to recognize. Specifically, we recognized it because we actually went to a trade show called CES in Las Vegas. Every single year, it's a huge consumer electronics show. And me and my dad are looking at different pieces of technology, kind of observing the entire environment, looking at innovative tech, because I'm, you know, of a younger age demographic, and I think technology is going to be the future. This is when drones and everything are just starting to come out. Really interesting point in time. And if you think about how far technology has come now, that was like the early days, you know what I mean? And so we're walking around and we see this technology all of a sudden that literally walks up on us as we're walking through the crowd center. And it's a screen that this person is controlling remotely from this company called Suitable Technologies in California. And the the product was called the Beam. And it's basically like this big television screen on wheels that someone else can control in your environment. And so we're thinking about like, this is straight up Jetsons times. Like this is new age technology. Someone else in a different part of the world is walking up on me in a television screen. How is this working? And so we start talking to this group about the cool technology. And then all of a sudden a light bulb goes off in Daryl's head and he goes, do you know what this could mean in a hospital? Like if we had the ability to put a doctor on this thing, what would it mean? And so that kind of inspired us to think. And then as we start engaging with the company, learning more about the technology and what it can do, my mom, Lori, actually comes up with the idea and says, wouldn't that have been amazing if you guys could have been there when grandma was there wow, and used yeah. something like this? So having that, having this experience with your grandmother with, and then having that background in, in uh, sourcing hospitals, it was, almost, it was like hand in glove. I mean, that converged better, right? 
I mean, yeah. I mean, think about it as like the perfect synergy, right? Yeah. Recognizing that, you know, everything about a hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Now we have an experience that we are, is rooted in our family history. And then you also have a son who's 23, 24 years old at the time, who's a technology geek as yeah. the rest of us millennials yeah, right. really are, you know? Right, right. And so it's just really seemed like the perfect opportunity for us to create, you know, a technology-based healthcare company. And what did that really mean? At the time, like I said, that's telehealth. And now telehealth in itself was really new because the laws in Nevada had just started to come out. And it was actually me and Daryl who were sitting across the table from one another while we started looking at something that was released called Assembly Bill 292. And it's a 400 page document that talks about healthcare regulations. And me and Daryl, you know, sitting across the table from each other, highlighting different lines in the actual yeah. article. <laughs> you can imagine how that was. And we're really interpreting all of these, these laws and all these different, you know, um, languages that are in this document. And we come across this line that says it's pivotal. Your provider can provide services to a patient via a video and audio technology and be paid as if it was in person or in the office. Yeah. Instantly, instantly, right? Instantly, my mind goes off and I'm like, well, if we can have video chat with everybody, then why would people not do this? Right. Right. And so, like I said, we start going to different hospice companies and talking about our family story. And then we start really having a huge impact in being able to connect family members, because as we got the product and everything off the ground, we started finding that all the families who are in hospice have family members who are remote, who want to be there. And I'll tell you what, when you can put a piece of technology in someone's home and their family from across the world can connect and spend time with that loved one, there are stories, one of which is the most impactful. There was a hospital that we were working with and there was an individual who unfortunately didn't have the ability to communicate. And the hospital administration themselves found his long lost brother who he hadn't spoken to in 17 years, who lived in Wisconsin. And we were able to put one of our devices in the hospital room and his family was able to come on the screen and see him for the first time in 17 years wow. and be with him before he passed away. That's cool. Now, there's like 12, 15 nurses in the room and everybody, including myself, is crying, yeah. right? Just hearing the family's emotion at that time. And that just really meant to me, you know, we're on a good mission here sure. and we have the ability to impact people so much more than what we thought um, because there are so many people who have shared the exact same experience as us. You are listening to the It's Telehealth podcast. For more information regarding integrated telehealth solutions, our products and services, or telehealth in general, text us at 775-401-8177. We are also available on all social media platforms at It's Telehealth, or contact us on our website at integratedtelehealthsolutions.com. So... The initial placements of because um, now we're talking about the beam still, which is which is kind mm-hmm. of a, kind of a four foot robot, if you will, uh, TV screen set on top of a, a, a what would you call it like a a trolley device? I don't even know what you call um, it. Yeah, a moving trolley, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, a boogie board. So, were your first the first placements? The initial placements were actually in homes. We we hadn't got to. Um, facility, healthcare facilities yet. Is that correct? That's correct. So, right. So we're in people's homes at this time, right? And the things that we recognized about that early technology was the network connectivity was a big issue, right? Internet 
in early 2014, early 2015, still wasn't as what it is today, sure. right? And so this technology needed to be robust enough to be inside of a real network intensive environment. And so what we found was a natural fit for that to go from in the home into different types of facilities like hospitals and different healthcare environments, right? Who had a little bit more network connectivity. And so as we saw the natural need for people in hospice and assisted living to stay connected with their loved ones, we got an opportunity with a hospital system in Vegas to start providing behavioral health services. And the thing that we recognized was there's a shortage of providers, especially when you talk about mental and behavioral health providers in the state of Nevada, right? And unfortunately, one of the things that you have to remember is there's not enough providers, but there's so many people who need services. And we started helping this hospital specifically by providing those types of MH and BH services because it was part of the care plan. In order for them to implement a care plan, there had to be this thing called a mental health evaluation before they could start treatment. And so the mental health evaluation being the first step meant that they had to schedule with a real person provider to come into the facility. And because there's a shortage, all of those providers have their own practices and their own schedules. And so that meant that there were delays in getting that assessment done. So that meant patients sat in beds for weeks at a time waiting for that healthcare assessment to happen. I mean, you can imagine just like the downstream effects of not being able to get the first step of a care plan done. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, we started working with different behavioral health providers in the Las Vegas market, and we started introducing this technology to them. And we said, what would it mean if you didn't have to leave the office and now you could use your computer and this technology to do an assessment? And they thought it was an awesome opportunity, but more than not, those providers told us that this technology delivery of healthcare was never going to be something real. Sure. And so we spent a lot of time knocking on doors, telling the story, and people really didn't believe us. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. No, no. I remember coming on some of those uh, demonstrations with you guys. And um, I remember there being these objections and, and, and specifically, I think part of it was because you were so early with the technology and um, that nurses and providers often thought that this was going to be a replacement for them. It was going to be a, a robot replacement of human workforce. And that was never the intention at all. It's actually to enhance uh, what they are already doing. Um, so it was, it was kind of funny to go into those, into those spaces and kind of see this sheer fear on, on these nurses group spaces. I mean, isn't that crazy how technology comes up and sometimes creates that fear of replacement? Sure. You know what I mean? And we always told the story, this is going to help you guys be more efficient. But people are like, if that robot can just wheel around, I'm not going to have to be <laughs> here. Have a job. Yeah. yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. So, you know, those early years were full of knocking on doors, telling people stories, telling them that the future was coming, you know, very much like the iPhone was coming down the pipe that was going to replace the phone and the landline that you have in your house. But people didn't want to believe it at the time. Right. Fast forward um, until, you know, 2016, 2017, a couple of years later, we start recognizing that the rest of the state of Nevada, not just hospitals, needs these types of behavioral health services as well. And so we started iterating on our technology to develop what is now known as the televisitor, which is a smaller, more efficient version of telehealth. 
And, you know, our unique differentiator is the fact that you can control our device by looking around from the provider or the family member's perspective. So especially in the mental health and behavioral health space, being able to look around is a key part of that interaction because MH and BH is talk therapy. But I also want to be able to see Andre as I'm talking to you to see if you're anxious and you're moving around your seat. But more importantly, the environmental assessment is really important. If I'm in the home with Andre, I want to be able to look to see if you have a a six foot tall pile of two liters and Red Bull cans behind you. You know what I mean? And maybe that's describing some of the anxiety that you have going on. Sure, sure. Definitely. That definitely would denote a problem for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there was a saying that I heard one time and this guy who we worked with um, at one of our early partners, this large behavioral health organization, he said, being a West Virginia boy, He said, you know, one thing that West Virginia and Nevada share is that there's a lot of dirt between the light bulbs. And when you think of Nevada, right, you think of two places, Reno in the north, smallest little town in the world or smallest little big town in the world, whatever the saying is, and Las Vegas. But there's a lot of place and a lot of communities in the middle of the desert that are three and a half hours in the middle of nowhere on the other side of a ridge that need behavioral and mental health services because there's communities there of 33,000, 2,500, 1,400 people. And the biggest obstacle to care that they have is they can't afford for those high-level clinicians, specialists, psychiatrists to be in their community. And so Tela really was a way for us to support those early communities by standing up technology at a trusted healthcare center, at a fire station, at a library, at a community partner location and allowing people to come to their local community center and receive behavioral health services. And yeah. And so it made a huge difference in those communities, right? Um, It's just the natural progression of technology, being able to support people who are somewhat underserved. And that's where we really believe telehealth and telemedicine are incredibly important. It's not about, you know, bringing a doctor in from the sky who doesn't know anything about your community but more so providing services that those individuals in underserved communities really need, um, which is our main mission. Sure, I mean, I, I think as, as with as with the rural areas, also in the inner cities, um, you have you have populations who who may not have the means or the transportation to get to certain um, providers, um, especially certain specialists. So, um, in that, tele is huge in in bridging that gap in care. For sure, um, is is that so? I, I know that the the it sounds like the original focus was may have been rural areas, and then now um, are we now looking towards even some more like urban areas that are also underserved? Absolutely. I mean, so as we progress down the years, right? We're talking about 2017. We start supporting these rural communities, and then flash forward to the first couple months of 2020, and now COVID happens, right? And the world shuts down. And we really have to look at the world as being, how do you interact and engage with people when they can't come to you? And this is when we saw President Trump come onto the TV and say, we support everything telehealth and everything telehealth means. The regulations for telehealth have been eliminated, right? Right. So any technology you have, FaceTime, Skype, anything that you can use potentially to connect with your doctor, use it to get the care that you need. Mm -hmm. And so this is when we really saw telehealth get thrust into the spotlight of the nation, right? It went from being a 
luxury and something that could be an adjunct to, to being a primary delivery. And so a lot of organizations have really started to recognize the effectiveness of telehealth in itself to be more effective. And our version of telehealth is not just video because connecting with people via video is awesome and being able to have that face-to-face interaction, but we also view patient education, follow-ups for um, appointment reminders, appointment coordination, and using all different pieces of technology to help people manage their own care better. And a large part of the population that needs help managing their care effectively is the underserved communities in urban areas, right? The Medicaid population, people who don't have private insurance, don't have the ability to take off work and go see the doctor. And so you're seeing technology develop to be a supportive tool for these people to be able to get the resources and help that they need without having to, I guess, recognize the obstacles to healthcare delivery that so many of us do. Because if you have a job and you work two jobs and you're working doubles all the time and you don't feel well, right? What are you going to do? You're not going to go to the doctor because you have to pay your bills, right? right? You got to work to pay your bills to make sure you can survive to put food on the table. But now you see the advent of technology that's stepping in to help you fill some of those gaps. You don't have to travel two hours and make a doctor's trip a full day activity. You can squeeze in seeing your doctor ask questions, see an urgent care whenever you can. Um, and there's so many ways in which, you know, companies across the world are helping people do that now. Yeah, I, I find it interesting that a technology that was kind of, again, bridging the gap for underserved communities um, with COVID and then with, with just the general recognition of, we, hey, we, we can do this without me traveling to you or you traveling to me. Then it kind of expanded through all walks of life. So was- everybody started getting getting the idea, especially with COVID. That, oh, because in COVID, you had to, you had no choice. But people started recognizing the convenience. People started recognizing the efficiency of, uh, of tele. Um, and, and now there's what, what I would probably call a boom of telehealth because of mainly, I think, I think it, there would have been the boom. I think COVID definitely accelerated that. Absolutely. I mean, what a catalyst, right? thinking about having to do things a certain way forever. And then all of a sudden an event comes along that makes you think about doing things differently, which is the biggest difference, right? I mean, the way that I look at telehealth today is the early days of, you know, companies like Uber and companies like Amazon coming into the marketplace. You always thought you were going to have to step out to the cat to the corner and hail a cab and have some guy pick you up and take you to a location. Right. Until somebody came up with an app that made that easier. Yeah. You also thought you're going to have to go buy your groceries all the time at the store. And now Amazon steps in and says, there's a better way to do this. And so I think we're in the very much the infancy of how technology is helping advance the effectiveness of healthcare. Yeah. And it's an amazing time to be where we're at. Yeah. What if I'm, if I'm somebody that's, that's listening here and I'm just like, yeah, all this sounds great and it's it's convenient and it's efficient and it, you know it, it could even eventually be cheaper. But is it safe? Is it secure? Like, am I going to have like all my? Let's say if I am uh, uh, MHBH patient, am I going to have all my personal um, information all over the web? I mean, that's a great question, right? And so that is one of the things that we help organizations and doctors navigate 
create every single day, right? The patient experience is the most important thing to us, but making sure that you're using tools that are safe and HIPAA compliant. And when we talk about HIPAA compliant, we mean encrypted is incredibly important because President Trump came out in 2020 and said, use any tool that you can to meet with your doctor. People started using things like FaceTime and other tools that aren't encrypted, right? Or as safe when it comes to protecting your information. And so it's always going to be important from the patient's perspective to know that your doctor is using tools that are safe for you to protect the information because there's so much, there's so many threats to technology or so many threats to our safety through technology today that it's important to make sure that you're using a platform that is encrypted. And so that's why, you know, one of the early things that we did very effectively, and I guess by luck, was made a partnership with Zoom. So we were um, Zoom's second healthcare partner back in 2014 before healthcare was really on their radar. And helping them and collaboration, you know, kind of recognize where technology was going in the healthcare space, they've made great strides to be able to leverage a HIPAA compliant version of their product. And so that's one of the questions that hospital systems and administrators ask us. They say, well, we use Zoom. And now we say, what we use is a HIPAA compliant version of Zoom. So everything is encrypted, everything is safe, everything is protected behind multiple different thresholds to protect the information of your providers, but more so the patients who are interacting. Sure, yeah, that's great. I, I you know, I've had um, multiple doctor's appointments during COVID and um, I, they were tele um, mm-hmm. through, through a portal. Yep. Um, it's, it, it wasn't exactly, you know, it wasn't the most uh, efficient process in terms of scheduling um, of even getting on the call was a little cumbersome. Um, yeah. how, how, and then also because it, what happens is let's say, cause I had, I had just to be candid. I had an, I had an issue like a stomach issue and I was mm-hmm. like, I got to get a hold of, of my physician. Um, that took, I, I want to say I, I, I sent out an email, um, through the portal, it took a couple of days to get that back. Um, how is, how is this different or how, how do you see that being different moving forward? Because I, it may not necessarily be a 911 emergency type call, but it would be a discomfort that people can't handle for one or two days. Um, how do you see that changing moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, communication in healthcare has always been um, a weakness, if you would say. There's always been something from my perspective, the attitude of if you want something, come and get it, right? And the means of come and get it in healthcare means log on to our patient portal which is an issue because it means you have to remember your login, email, username, and a password. And today we have hundreds, if not thousands of usernames and passwords all over the internet. So it's difficult to remember. So my hat goes off to you for remembering how to log into your patient portal and send a message in the first place, because that is a issue. I have face ID. I can't. Okay. There's no way that's going to happen. That's right. And so, you know, one thing that we help organizations do is improve the communication process between their organization and patients, right? And so what we do is we actually enable organizations with something like super efficient, like SMS texting in a HIPAA compliant fashion. So imagine what it would mean if Andre didn't have to log into that patient portal or send that email that is going to take days for someone to respond to. And you could actually text your doctor, right? And ask, hey, I'm having these issues. 
I'd like to come in. And then having someone from their care team, an administrator, a coordinator, whoever that could be, respond back to you and then communicate in a HIPAA compliant fashion about coordinating that appointment, right? Less friction, but also puts Andre in a better position to schedule out and coordinate his own healthcare a little bit more efficiently than playing the game of, let me send an email, wait a couple of days, my stomach's bothering me. I don't know what to do. Let me suffer through this. Or I'm going to have to go to urgent care and take that day off of work, right? Communication is incredibly important. And we live in a day and age now where communication is incredibly instant and it's incredibly efficient. And so leveraging communication mediums like SMS text that people can leverage on a daily basis in their personal lives with trusted advisors like their healthcare team can make all the difference in the world. Sure. I, um, I just wanted to show you something really quick, if you could see this. Um, mm. There are my, I don't know if you can see my email, or where is it? My email account. Can you see that? Yeah, you got 17 dot, 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 nine. So what do you got, 17 million emails open there? <laughs> it's a 170,000 unread emails. Unopened email. That's what I'm saying. So like, that's the issue, right? It's like, yeah. if we're going to communicate effectively today, you have to use tools that people are going to consume. And so here's another question for you. How many unopened text messages do you have on your phone right now? Oh, probably five. <laughs> five tops, right? Exactly. They all probably came in while we've been and, talking here. And the thing is, is that the ones that are unopened were probably one sentence that I read and didn't open it. You know what I mean? Yep, like, it's right. Yeah. And so we talk about that. You know, 90% of text messages are read within the first 90 seconds of them being delivered. Although you might not give the red receipt, you look at it through your screen 99% of the time. And 98% of text messages are opened. I can't say that about your 17,000 emails that are sitting in your <laughs> inbox right now. <laughs> you know? They're never getting opened. And never if gonna I could figure out how to delete, the, delete them without deleting important things, I would, but... Yeah, that, exactly. And that's, the thing, and that's the thing. And that's why I think that um, I think that the, the, what you, you know, have put together is, is really important moving forward, because the generation that is going to be um, needing healthcare services, they are they are in their 20s now and they feel really good and, and, and they feel invincible and and nothing's really happened to them yet health wise but they are real technologically savvy yeah. and they're going to need healthcare services moving forward. And they are not going to want to wait on an email. I mean, realistically, if you could Snapchat them, their health, their health results, even better. <laughs> I mean, that's right though. I mean, think about that. If you're asking the next generation, it's like, I look at it in the equivalent, right, of telling your great-grandmother to get on Facebook and to use the IM Messenger. The way that she looks at that as being an obstacle is the same way that the young generation looks at hopping into a patient portal or chatting back and forth via email with somebody. It's like, why would I do that? That doesn't make sense. That's not how I grew up. I'm not used to that. Yeah. I mean, they don't even want to hop on a phone call. A voice, that, a voice call is not even, is not even viable for I mean, that's one of the other things that I continue to talk about all the time, right? The future generation coming up doesn't like that. I don't want to say interpersonal communication, but the way in which they communicate is different. Sure. And so the way I look at technology evolving in the healthcare space is really serving that future generation, right? Sure. So we're preparing and we're laying down the railroads and the roads and the tracks right now for that future generation to hop into healthcare and be ready to run as quick as the world runs around them. 
Sure. And uh, one thing that I, I did read is that is making sure you keep a, a solid balance between the now and the future, making sure that no one gets alienated, that um, um, the uh, the uh, elder population now isn't isn't alienated from the technology of healthcare today. So they're, they're not, they don't feel overwhelmed. And I that's think a great point. Yeah. I think we're doing a good job of, of, of maintaining that balance. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we've got the televisor device, right. That is hands-free that your family and or your doctor can control for you in the elder space means that you're just an end recipient of those services and, or that love someone's bringing into your environment, but we're also leveraging tools for communication and coordination that you know everyone and the younger generations are going to expect to use. So we've almost got a bite at both of those apples, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, man, the the future looks bright. Um, I, I love the direction that this company is going. I'm I'm very uh, happy and proud to be a part of um, of of the progress moving forward. Um, and it was great to get you here today, so we could you know, talk about these things and, and hopefully, you know, and, and get people um, aware and more aware of what telehealth actually is. Because I think there's still some people out there that are a skeptical or, or a little afraid of, of what the future is to bring. You're absolutely right, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I can't wait to, you know, continue to tell this story so we can help people make the smooth transition from what we were to what we're doing now and to what the future is going to be like. Absolutely. So, um, if anybody wants to reach out and, and, and find out more about ITS and uh, telehealth and, and teletether and televisitor and all the, the uh, platforms that we have available for them, where can they reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So come check us out at itsitstelehealth.com. Itstelehealth.com. Um, you'll be able to find all of our information about you know the cool technologies that we're leveraging currently and we'll be leveraging in the future. Also a great resource to come find more information about telehealth in general. So if you need just a, a catch up or a quick crash course on what's happening in the space, we can be your trusted resource for all that stuff. But I hope uh, I see you someday on the website or you can uh, come have a chat with us. Awesome, Keenan. Thank you for this, man. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll, we'll be back to, to share more information soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the It's Telehealth podcast. Stay current by subscribing to It's Telehealth on your favorite podcast platform.